Welcome to another episode of On the Issues. My guest today is David Mack, former U.S. Ambassador to the United Arab Emirates and Deputy Assistant Secretary of State for Near East Affairs. For his full bio, please see the page for this episode. So anyway, just go ahead, you know, this, uh, thank you again. Well, anyway, after, I remember after my meeting with, my first meeting with Masoud Barzani, uh, who was the head of the Kurdistan uh, Democratic Party, and he had a delegation of three or four people, including his number two in the Kurdistan Democratic Party, was um, Sami Abdurrahman. Yeah who's from Sinjar and used to be a, a rival to the Barzanis, but they had formed this party together. And after their meeting with me, Sami uh, went out and talked to uh, El Hayat, an Arabic newspaper, and I, I read the article afterwards, and Sami Abdurrahman said, Ambassador Mack received us with warm hospitality and cold words. <laughs> and, you know, I thought to myself, exactly, I got my message through to him that we're not going to support Kurdish independence. And uh, I was actually very pleased by it. Now, ironically, now his daughter, uh, Bayan Abdurrahman, is the... Um, the Kurdish regional government representative here in Washington. And I will have to say she's much more realistic. Yeah. Uh, although I don't know whether she had encouraged uh, the government in Erbil and um, uh, Masoud Barzani to think that it was a good idea for them to have this independence referendum. Right. But if she had remembered what I had told her father, many, many years ago, uh, her late father, she would have known that Washington was not going to support this, um, I think, ill-considered and ill-timed effort by their... Is she, is she still... Is she still uh, yes. So oh, what's yes. her name again? Her name is Bayan Abdurrahman, or formerly Bayan Sami Abdurrahman. Bayan Sami Abdurrahman. And you know, the, the, talking about Barazani, he was here about two years ago. Yes. Two and a half years ago, maybe. Right. And we had a meeting with him okay. at the time. And subsequently went to the Undersecretary of State. Uh, was it uh, was President Obama was there? Was it Burns, I think? It could have been William Burns. Yeah. I think it was him, Burns. Yeah. And, and then Barazani gave us, uh, we were just a few academics because he wanted to meet with a few. And uh, David Phillips, I don't know if you know him from. Yeah, I know from, David. I came with David Phillips right. and a few others. And he said, we are absolutely determined to have, to have a referendum. <clears throat> we're just waiting to see, <clears throat> excuse me, the ISIS, you know, defeat of ISIS. And after that, we will do that. As a matter of fact, he went through with it. And, we, and then subsequently, the same day, we went to the State Department to find out if, where the State Department stood on that particular issue. And, and uh, Burns then said, it's inevitable. Mm. It's inevitable. Yes. And, and I said, I asked him, so will you support that? 
He said, you know, when it is inevitable, we're going to have to support in one form or another. But of course, things have changed. Things right. have changed since. Well, uh, and um, we had developed, you know, at the time you were talking to him, we had probably a very difficult, I would say, relationship with Nouri al-Maliki, the former prime yeah. minister. We now have a very good relationship with Haider al-Abadi. Oh, we want to encourage him, and we want to encourage him to reach out to and form coalition, political coalition of the kind they used to have in Iraq, including Kurds and Shia Arabs and Sunni Arabs, rather than just depending upon the religious uh, Shia Arab parties. But do you really, do you really think this is going to work? Having the, the after Maliki, what the Sunnis have experienced, what the Kurds have experienced, and now especially that the Kurds have their mind on independence. Do you really think that Iraq can be pieced together again and well, it be would, functioning? It, state? It, it could never be, and it should never, I don't think, be the kind of monolithic unified state that Saddam Hussein and other previous rulers had tried to achieve, where all power is in Baghdad. I think that that is probably a bad model for Iraq. There's so much um, diversity in Iraq that there's a lot to be said for a more federal system with uh, a lot of the independence of action. I would say for all the governorates, I would like to see the, the governorates have more authority. Um, I'm not saying that the U.S. system is a perfect system, by no means, but just like Iraq, we are a very diverse country, and if all power is concentrated in Washington, D.C., it's almost a recipe for disaster, uh, which is why our states and municipal governments often have so much authority over the over activities. And I think, I think, fr frankly, the the system that has developed since 1991, uh, under U.S. protection at that time, the system that's developed where the the Kurdish regional government. Authorities have a lot of uh, authority to my. It means that they can protect their own culture, they can have an educational system that's perhaps more attuned uh, uh, to their diversity. Frankly, I would like to see them have more Arabic training now in their schools rather than almost totally Kurdish, which I think is unfortunate. But it would not be a good idea to roll back the system so that every school textbook, whether it is being used in Solomonia or Erbil or Dohuk or in Basra or Nasiriyah, is determined by some Ministry of Education officials in Baghdad, which is the way it was under Saddam Hussein and yeah. previous Iraqi governments, and I think that was a mistake for Iraq. Yeah, but I mean, you know, when you mentioned the model we have here, this is a lot more, um, you know, yes, the state do have some independence, but when it comes to res natural resources, 
Uh, there's no, this belongs to this state or this belongs to that other yeah. state. In Iraq, is a different story altogether. You have natural resources where, by necessity of necessity, they must share. They have no That's choice right. but to share. That's right. As soon as you have nothing, basically, no oil, no gas under their ground, where the three provinces, as you well know. Uh, so, so, yes, federation, I think, is absolutely probably the but they have to have almost independence, yeah. provided they have, maybe, maybe foreign policy can be united. No, but, but there have, yes, there have to be certain areas like defense, defense like foreign policy, yeah. uh, like uh, the oil industry, an oil industry yeah. that That's is... That's the key, I think. Uh, needs, ...needs also to have some kind of unified direction to it, and... Uh, I mean, distribution of oil revenue is, has, yeah. To, yeah. has to be. That's why there's much to be said, I think, for a system that provides some special representation in Baghdad for minority communities like the Sunni Arabs, uh, like the Kurdish, um, uh, like the Kurds, that they, they would have perhaps just as the small states in the United States have have considerable power in Washington well beyond their numerical size, right. I think there's something to be said for something similar in Iraq, and that's the current constitution, in theory, provides for that, where you have... But it hasn't functioned. It hasn't functioned. It hasn't functioned well. It hasn't functioned. The question is, from your perspective, David, what changes... You know, because I, I agree with you. I mean, uh, I, I wanted, to, I, I felt all along, and I spoke to many ambassadors, Iraqi ambassadors, mm -hmm. you know, the, the, the most recent one who lived, Farid, current one, the previous one, uh, um, uh, all of them, practically, yeah. all of them in Washington as well as in, uh, in, in D.C. And of course, none of them would, would suggest that Iraq can, should be divided, or it should be three different states. But my argument was always with them, tell me how you're going to get this, the, the, the Kurds to, to subordinate themselves completely to the central government. How do you get the Sunnis to support them, especially after their experience with Maliki and all of that? So going just to your, to your point, I think they, they need a lot more independence than we enjoy here in the, the States. Mm -hmm. That is, the States here have some level of on the local issue mostly. But I think in Iraq, you get the, the basically they have to have a more, more or less a state. But they, like you said, however, they share three elements, which is a must. That's foreign policy, defense, and natural resources, including water. Yes. Well, that's, that's a good point, because the waters of the, um, of the Tigris, uh, which uh, come down to a, a great degree through Kurdish areas, uh, and the waters of the Euphrates that come through, come through Sunni Arab areas of Syria and and right. Iraq right. Uh, end up uh, being absolutely essential for the lifeblood of a uh, Shia Arab population in central and southern Iraq. And southern Iraq so there yeah. does yeah. need. I, I think you're quite right for natural resources. I just think there needs to be very strong representation in Baghdad 
or Sunni Arabs and Kurds, and that's been a problem. It's a problem that is greater now, I, has been greater since um, Mam Jalal, uh, Jalal Talabani, had began having his medical problems that eventually led to his death because he had a lot of influence when he was in good health and, and politically active, along with other Kurds in the government, they managed to have quite a lot of influence in politics in Baghdad. If the Sunni Arabs could have also had leaders, and they had leadership problems um, because they never quite adjusted to the post-Saddam Hussein period, but if they had had uh, the same quality of leadership in Baghdad, we hopefully would not have gotten into this situation where the Iraqi prime minister is so dependent upon the Shia religious parties, which tend to be under Iranian influence in some cases. Oh, yeah, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. But But moreover, in one way or another, they become very difficult political partners for the Kurds and the Sunni Arabs, and an effective Iraqi prime minister is going to be the prime minister who can manage to build bridges between these different communities. But the thing, the thing is this, based on, again, past experience, there were an election, in every election, if it's free and fair, the Sunni, the Shia are going to form the government. There's no question about it. They're a majority. They have an absolute majority, including a combination of the population of the Kurds as well as the Sunnis together. They're, the Shia community is larger. So, so we know for sure that in any election, the Shia are going to have a majority. That is a given in but, Iraq. But the political parties need not be um, parties that are restricted to parties that have a, a almost primarily Shia religious identity. This is true. This you, is ideally, but the truth is, it is a fact, though. They are who they are. Well, you know, I, I think back to my days, of course, I was, I was living in Baghdad, and I spent time living in Basra, where you deal with uh, a certain class of population that is different from the population out in the villages. Oh, but certainly, the mixture of Kurds and Sunnis and Shia, mixed marriages, oh, um, yeah, mixed yeah. No, those days, you're right, of course. There were, there were, there were as many Shia in, in Shia Arabs in senior positions in the Ba'ath Party as there were Sunni Arabs. Now, this is true, but this has, but since 2003, yes. do you really feel after what happened the Iraqis have experienced this? Since then, you know, for the last uh, 14 years, 15 years, can you really revert the, you know, restore the status quo ante? That's not going to happen. No, but part of the experience that they yeah. have had, and it's yeah. been a tragic experience, but part of the experience they had has been infighting between different Shia religious yes. militias yeah. fighting against one another. Yeah. And I think we may see a return to the... Uh, what I would call the Iraqi political ideal that was represented in the old 
period before the revolution against the monarchy, uh, where in fact there was a balancing, you know, all the communities were drawn upon. And if we think about it, it was secular Shia politicians yeah. who were very often the ones that were able to make this bridge. And nobody ever said that Nuri Said was a fanatical, uh, fanatic about any uh, sectarian uh, identity. He, he, he lived to build up the Iraqi state representing all parts of the country. And much the same, I think, could have been true of a number of the uh, Shia, Arab, uh, but of a more secular mentality. Somebody like Ayad Alawi, for example, uh, tried, did not succeed, but he did try to build this kind of alliance uh, that bridged uh, the different sectarian ethnic communities. And I think Iraqis can get back to that. I always, I had a constant struggle when I was in government to get senior people in our government to appreciate not only what a tough adversary Iraqis could be for the United States, but also what their potential was. I would have to say things like, because I would be, oh, the Iraqis, we will be able to do this or that. And I would say, no, no, no. Don't forget these people invented agriculture. They invented algebra. Uh, this don't is, this sell is, them this short. Let me, let me just point two things that, yeah. that, and that have changed. And to the extent, now you have, you have Iran. Mm -hmm. Now, Iran exerts tremendous influence in Iraq. Yes. Now, in my mind, and please correct me if you think I'm wrong, in my mind, as long as Iran continues to exercise this kind of influence, the whole concept of restoring sort of Iraq the way you are talking about, and I, there is a point, you are correct in one, in one sense, and I think you're absolutely right, but as long as Iran is there, it's going to be extremely difficult, even for the, for the Shiites currently at, this, at the present time, to think in terms of complete independence and try to restore sort of an Iraq as a united entity because the Sunnis are very suspicious and the Kurdis want to go their way already and we have seen the last, last year. But there is something, and I always discuss with the Iraqis, there's something that would that prevail, because that's the point I think you are touching on. There is what I think was Iraqi nationalism. Iraqi nationalism, yes. unlike any other Arab countries, and because of the, what, what you just mentioned, there's a certain pride in the, as an entity, as an Iraq as an entity. There's a certain pride that transcends internal division and internal squabbles and even fighting and violence. The question is, what, how much of that? Do you agree with that premise? I do. That, I do. How much of that over uh, nationalism can still override yes. these current differences that exist today? That is, you know, to me, to me, this is, if there's any salvation to get right. Iraq back, will they go back to what they've always been? 
that transcend Shi Sunni Kurds and all of them because they were they work together very well at the time. Uh, yes, I I think that um, the colonels are there. They're there in the Iraqi educational system. Iraqis do, I think, broadly, uh, they place an importance on uh, sacrificing currently for the progress of the next generation. Parents will work very, very hard and do everything they can to make certain that their children get a good modern education. And um, that's why they seem, even, even though they've despite the horrendously bad governments that they have had over the decades, they keep managing to come up with an elite of people who are capable of managing uh, an economy and perhaps harder than that of achieving some kind of consensual politics. We don't quite know who the personalities might be that could emerge to do that. But, you know, uh, uh, I can think of people in every community who have this strong sense of Iraqi nationalism uh, despite their well-established sectarian yeah. and ethnic yeah. uh, conditions. Let's, let's take a Shia leader that the United States has had huge problems with, and that's Muqtada al-Sadr. Yeah, yeah. From a very prominent Shia religious family. He spent a lot of time studying in Iran, and yet he is certainly an Iraqi nationalist. He is no pushover. He doesn't, he is he is offended by the Iranian efforts to control the Shia religious community. Um, uh, his ties uh, religiously tend to be to the Marja in Qum, uh, in Iraq, not to uh, the, the Marja uh, in uh, or, and, the, and I'm, excuse me, I misspoke. Is, to the marja in Najaf. In Najaf, in Najaf. In Najaf. I thought, yes. Not yeah. to the marja in Qum. Not in Qum, that's right. And, and if the Iranians face uh, uh, any real uh, pushback, it has tended to be from uh, a few of the Shia religious, a few of the Shia leaders who have been most keen on protecting their independence and most keen on uh, maintaining their links uh, with the um, Iraqi Shia uh, figures um, in Najaf. Do, do you think, David, that Muqtada <clears throat> Sadr, you know, after all of this, uh, the fighting that he's against the American and against his own as well, the fact that he decided no more fighting, basically, he stopped. Yeah. What prompted him at the time? Was it, was it this, what you just mentioned, the fact that he's come, became disillusioned with the Iranian 
I think he has realized that dependence upon Iran yeah. means that Iranians will control Iraqi politics. Yeah, that's right. And that, that's that. what he doesn't want. Yeah. And it will be very interesting to see if in the upcoming elections in May, I believe, I think that's when they're scheduled, it will be interesting to see if he supports uh, Haider al-Abadi uh, rather than any of the figures that are closer to the Iranians. Uh, now, Haider al-Abadi, uh, whom I do not know personally, uh, but Americans who know him have dealt with him and whom I, to whom I have spoken of have a lot of praise for him, but they will always say, it's too bad he doesn't have a stronger base of support he, within Iraq. He doesn't have that's, a, a that's, lot of really fanatically loyal uh, that's, followers. That's the problem. And I still think, you know, even though he tried to distance himself, in a way, from the Iranians, yeah. but he's still, uh, he's still in a way under their thumb. Oh, yeah. Well, he made, he made a big misstep not yeah. too long ago when he invited some of the Shia militia leaders into his coalition, and there's been a big... Um, that caused a negative reaction, of course, from Sunni Arabs and from Kurds, whom he had also been trying to cultivate yeah. as part of a, of a more um, cross-sectarian and, and, and cross-ethnic uh, political coalition. Right. Now, look at the current uh, constitution in Iraq. So you have the current constitution, basically, and it's an agreement. The Kurds will have the presidency, mm. am I right? Yes. And the Sunni will have... Um, uh, the, the president of the assembly. The president of the know, assembly. And, yeah, and then, of course, the prime minister has to be from, right. from the Shia. Yeah. That is enshrined today in yes. the constitution. Right. And there's no effort by anyone... I mean, of course, the, the, the Kurds want to change that. They don't want to have any part of it. Yeah. But they have not received no support from the international community. Right. They have received no support within Iraq itself. So things now are quite basically right. wait and see. They have taken the attitude of wait and see. Right. But it's going to come to an election in May. Where, where that's going to go? I mean, are they going to be participating in the no. election? Probably, most probably, of course, the election will not settle the question of who forms the government. There'll have to be negotiations afterwards. Yeah. Uh, and uh, uh, between the, the parties that get the most uh, MPs. But to a certain extent, if I can switch to another country that, um, that I know a little bit about is Lebanon, to a certain extent, the, the way out for Iraq may be somewhat similar to the Lebanese political experience. Now, Lebanon's had horrendous problems. Nobody should want to go through a 15-year civil war like they did. But if we look at the history of um, the Arab world, uh, in the last half of the 20th century, and now the first 17 years of the 21st century. What country has come the closest to a successful constitutional system? This is, this is it's, true. It's possibly Lebanon, and it's possibly... Be, and, and what the Lebanese have done 
is to find some place in their system for every confessional group, every sectarian group. You know, David, going just to your point, um, uh, the success of Canada, the fact that Lebanon it is what it is and the sharing power of confessional. Um, but in today's Lebanon, is a different story altogether. The, system, the political system principle is the same. But then you have the element of Hezbollah there. Yes. This is de facto, I mean, Hezbollah, to, to, if they decide tomorrow right. to, to take over, they can take over. Who, who would, who would, who's going to stop them? Well, um, I mean, there would be turmoil probably in Lebanon. I, I think it would be a serious misjudgment by the Lebanese and by, or by Hezbollah and by the Iranians. Now, the Iranians are more likely to make a misjudgment, I think, than Hezbollah because Hezbollah, let's face it, they have now achieved a huge success in getting integrated into the Lebanese political system. They have members of the government. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I am sure that they are also that members of Hezbollah are also getting seats on the boards of various Lebanese banks because this is what Lebanon does. They share the economic and political power with these shifting coalitions. It's well known that perhaps a majority of the Christians are now in this alliance with Hezbollah which is in a very unusual alliance of convenience. And uh, uh, in a way, it's a recognition of what I would call a, a transitional moment in Lebanese history when Hezbollah reached a high point politically because it had been the one element in the whole Arab world that had successfully fought back against Israel. And, of course, Lebanese who previously would not have wanted to sit down at the same table and have a cup of coffee with people from Hezbollah suddenly said, well, wait a minute, if it hadn't been for these people, we would still have... A, an Israeli occupation of a good part of our country and probably a Syrian occupation of the rest of the country in order to try to counter Israel. So maybe it maybe they're not so bad. And yeah, so, but but I'm sorry to interrupt you, but, yeah. the, but the point here now, the Lebanese are also are very, very nervous and are extremely nervous if how if Hezbollah decide to make a move. Sure. against Israel, well, and potentially Lebanese, Lebanon could be wiped out because given the level of arsenals that yeah. Hezbollah has today, they're not going to sit on it if there's a conflagration with Israel. Right. So, so you are right in the sense, you know, they have they managed very well given their circumstances, but it is tenuous. It is. It is, it is. It is tenuous, and you never know what's <laughs> going to happen because a new reality has been created in Lebanon. But let's go, I want to see too, because you, you know, go back to, to Iraq for, for a moment. Yeah. That is, 
where do we go from here with Iraq, like given, given the reality right. that, we, that you have so well articulated? Where do we go from here? There's, you know, because we don't know the, the, what's going to be the result of the election. It comes May right. or June, when, right. what is going to happen? We know where the, the, the Kurdish mind is right now, uh, albeit having received, like we said before, the support they were hoping to get. Uh, the, the Sunni is still very bitter about their experiences going back to the Maliki. Abadi was a little more uh, considerate yeah. as far as the Sunni uh, were, were concerned. Uh, where, 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 where that's going to go? Let's set aside this, yeah. the, sure. this, this sense of okay. nationalism yeah. uh, for a while. But where do we go? There's going to have to be some long transitional period to yes. get to that point. Yes. Where do you think this is going to lead to? Well, if, you, if I had to say where it's going to lead in for the rest of 2018, I wouldn't really be able to answer you. But I think over the long term, what Iraqis have to focus on is to move to some kind of constitutional system They've got a constitution now. It's not a bad starting place. It's not perfect, but it will need some adaptations. But to move to a constitutional system that recognizes and permits a significant uh, autonomous autonomy group, yeah. for different regions, that there should be a lot of decentralization of certain functions, education and health are particularly good examples, uh -huh. and a, a greater acceptance of diversity than they have been dealing with uh, since the overthrow of the Ba'ath government in 2003. You know, when I was living and working in Baghdad on my two assignments there. You know where the largest community of Kurds in Iraq was? It was in Baghdad. Oh, definitely. definitely. And still, still many, many, right. tens of thousands of Kurds still live in Baghdad. Still a huge number. Still live in Baghdad, of course. So, and uh, as I said also, I knew many mixed families, uh, Shia, Sunni, uh, they call themselves sushis sometimes. The ones that are Americanized, they say, we're sushi in our family, <laughs> Sunni and Shia. Uh, but they can get back to this kind of rough balance and equilibrium among the different communities, provided the government in Baghdad doesn't try to run every detail of people's lives throughout the country. Now, it's even possible that Iran will eventually come to accept something like that because it will appear less threatening than a highly centralized uh, regime of the kind that the Ba'ath Party had built. From the Iranian perspective, 
they obviously are going to feel threatened by a strong Iraqi central government. But what if it's a fairly weak Iraqi central government that does not have the same capacity of mobilizing the whole country uh, for some kind of foreign war? Um, to your point, to your point, this is a very important point. Um, go back to, so, so there's got to be, the current constitution ought to be modified. Yeah. To give more power, at least on issues like education, healthcare, right. perhaps uh, infrastructure, right. within each, the three main blocks, Kurds and right. Indonesia. I, I, I think this is probably the best way to go at this point. Now, uh, keep, keeping the other three major issues like foreign policy, defense, and natural resources to be okay. When you characterize the central government to be weaker, uh, would that to accommodate Iran? No, but it also accommodates the concerns about Iraq that have been expressed in the past by the Kuwaitis, by, the, by Saudi Arabia, by Jordan, in a sense, I think what Iraq was when I was out there in the 70s, when I was there on my first assignment in the 60s, it hadn't happened yet. But by the 70s, there were three powerful states in the region, Iran, Turkey, and Iraq. And they were in a very, a stage that that you could have said, this would be wonderful if it continued forever, but it's not going to be. One of these governments is going to step across the bounds and try to dominate the others. And in the end, um, uh, in the Iraq-Iran war, it was Iraq. But circumstances could have gone another way. Uh, we could have had uh, a Turkish government in uh, the way you described in your recent article, trying to establish a new Ottoman regime <laughs> yeah. where it would dominate the region. Or you could have had the kind of, of threat that emerged when I was there in 1979 with the Islamic Revolution in Iran and with a tendency of Iran to try to establish uh, hegemony in the region. In a sense, that's the sort of system which I think was proven even in Europe to be untenable over the long term. If you have a small number of very powerful states jostling to see which will dominate, that is a situation which Henry Kissinger would have said is going to be in the long term unstable. But if you have a larger number of states, um, they're more likely to opt for peaceful solutions, which is what we have in Europe today, yeah. for example. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and what you could see eventually emerge in the Middle East. I think it's extraordinarily unhealthy uh, to have a situation where Iran, Israel, and Turkey have so much power among the three of them 
uh, that they can uh, destabilize the whole region if one of them succeeds in dominating the others. I think that's, that's frankly frightening. Um, yeah, but, but the likelihood, I mean, Israel, and given what it is, is not going to happen because Israel is going to maintain the supreme superpower of the region today. Yeah. And uh, because Israel is Israel, a Jewish state, uh, even if there is any ambition to become far more, uh, cannot control anything in it. Israel is just going to stay where it is, but it's going to have... Israel, is, Israel has a Jewish nationalist government, no, I would it. maintain. No, yeah, that's but, not a, but, <laughs> but, but it's no longer probably the, the Jewish democracy that no, we all No, no, that's, that's changed. But in terms of power, it's going to be, it is what it is. And, and, and uh, Turkey, of course, has its own ambition, there's no question, but it's going to be limited. In the final analysis, yeah. there will be stops. Yeah. That how far they can go because the Arab world reject, in principle, reject Turkey. They do not want to have much of Turkey uh, going back again, like to the Ottoman period. Just like with the exception of Iraq, they well, tend to reject Iran yeah, yeah. as a, an hegemon. So I just want to try to put this in proper perspective, to because it's very important, I think, for this to conclude this in a way. In the interim, you're going to need uh, to have to factor in the conflict between Iran and Saudi Arabia and their interest in Iraq. Yeah. That is, I don't think it can, any, any government in Iraq can succeed in developing the framework that we've talked about before unless they factor in the influence of Saudi Arabia as well as Iraq. You agree with that? I, absolutely. I th yeah. Okay. In the long term, this is a serious it's, danger. That has it's going to have to be. So wouldn't you think that Abadi or whoever is going to be the prime minister after the next election would be wise not to focus on trying to, because Iraq is, basically Iraq is the, is the, is the prize that Saudi Arabia wants to make sure that the Sunnis are not going to lose control or to lose their base in Iraq, yeah. because that is that is this is really what they're fighting for, and as far as Iran goes, not as much as less Yemen. Yemen is another problem, but they want to make sure that Iraq does not become a Shiite, totally, completely dominated. That's why I think what you are what we're talking about in terms of federation, of sort, where more power be bestowed on the various on the three groups, that's going to be absolutely critical. But Abadi need not to, be, to make sure that Saudi Arabia is as supportive of the new type of an arrangement, whereas Saudi Arabia will have to be very supportive, even though to the chagrin of what Iran, Iran's going to have to lose some of its influence as a result. But the only party that can actually make that shift, slight shift, is going to be the prime minister, whether it's Abadi or whoever is going right. to, su to succeed him. Don't you think this is going to be one of the prerequisites as step one in order to A, lighten the, the Iraqi burden from the outside power that are putting so much pressure on Iraq today in order for them to move forward and establish the kind of system we talked about? Uh, yes, and I do think it's a net plus for Iraq's future and Iraq's security that the Saudis are now a little more involved in Iraq in a mostly constructive way. 
than had been true. Uh, that was a long-term goal of U.S. diplomacy. Uh, and I think we see uh, considerable progress there. It also has to be, the Baghdad regime also has to have a good relationship with Ankara, with Turkey, because that's also an important in ingredient. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, mean, there's already... Iraq is going to be militarily weak for a long time to come, and it's probably better for the region that it focus its military on defensive capacities in some kind of alliance with other friendly governments, not just Turkey and Saudi Arabia um, and Iran, but also with some outside governments like the U.S. Well, um, in this regard, um, now given the current reality, that is, in order for Iraq to stabilize Iraq and to slowly, gradually bring it into become really independent, the three, four elements ought to be in place. We, we modify the constitution to reflect what we talked about. More power to the Sunnis, more locally in dealing with their own issues, local, on, you know. That's one. Two, for, for, for the new government in Iraq or currently to have strengthened its bilateral relation with Saudi Arabia, in order to balance its relationship with Iran, yeah. which will please the Saudis as the Saudis want. Strengthening its relations, of course, with Jordan on the other side as well. Mm -hmm. And then for the American troops, for American pre uh, presence, let's call it more presence than yeah. just the troops in themselves, right. to, for America to be more active, not militarily as much, but develop much closer relationship with, any, with the Iraqi government yeah. than we still have today. And that would allow, would weaken Iran in, uh, over time, strengthen the, 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 new, the new setup, that is the new constitution, and lessen, and perhaps eventually eliminate completely, the conflict between the Sunni and the Shiite, between mm -hmm. Iran and Saudi Arabia. Well, I think, um, although that would be ideal, I think, in fact, that the uh, U.S. policy regarding its military presence is going to be far more circumscribed. I think it's going to be uh, twofold, I would hope. One is building up the um, capabilities of the Iraqi armed forces and, and in order to absorb this new military equipment they're getting and be able to use it effectively to defend their borders, and along with that, um, to encourage the uh, central government and the Kurds uh, to achieve a mutually acceptable um, redefinition of their relationship. But the Sunnis and as to well. Do, and to do the same kind of thing with the, with the Sunnis. Yes. Um, I don't think frankly, that we are even going to try to neutralize the Iranian influence than building up central government capabilities. I think that's the way we see it, that we can best help uh, is yeah. um, 
to have these kind of modis vivendi yeah. um, uh, with both Kurds and, and Sunnis uh, and more capable Iraqi armed forces. Right. And that, um, that that would be the answer. I, I think we're still puzzling. Well, we are, we're clearly still puzzling over how we're going to deal with the expanded Iranian influence. Uh, in the region, and um, I don't see much likelihood that there will be, I think, the, there's a lot of perplexity in Washington. The good side of that is that, um, in the end, I don't think that we are going to ruin the uh, nuclear agreement. Well, I hope not, because I'm, yeah, I mean, I'm glad a, you mentioned that. I mean, the, the question is, how will we go about dealing with other threats emanating from Iran in the terms of subversion um, in places like um, Bahrain, Kuwait, Syria, and so on? And I just don't think they have an answer for that yet. Uh, we, it's a holding action in a way. Really, what we're doing in Iraq now under the Trump uh, regime, Trump administration, and, and this is the influence of James Mattis, the Secretary of Defense, and McMaster at the National Security Council, we are continuing the Obama policy. And I think it would be unwise for us to break that general direction of strategy, which is to have, as you said, a, a presence, but to not have active measures on the ground involving our military forces that I don't think are unacceptable to Iraqis, except for the Kurds, yeah. and, and there's a limit to what we can do for the Kurds. Yeah. Well, uh, I think this was wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you. <laughs> and I thank you for asking such penetrating questions. Thank you. Thank you so much. It was wonderful. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to this episode on the issues. You can find this podcast on my Samuel Clark page. And stay tuned to my social media accounts for the latest analysis and announcements.